With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, Hawkeye Nation. This is Joe Hugan uh, coming back to you right before Christmas. Um... Recording this actually on Monday, uh, the 21st, and uh, we're going to talk to you guys just a little bit about Iowa basketball and where we're going to be going for uh, our football bowl game, if there is going to be a bowl game. Uh, have Steve Dace here with me uh, for your uh, pleasure and uh, excitement. He always brings a lot of good things uh, to Hawkeye Nation. Uh, Steve, thank you for being with us again. You bet, brother. Merry Christmas. Good to talk to you guys. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, you've been keeping up with everything going on with uh, the Big Ten football uh, schedules and with, uh, you know, complications of, of playing games and continuing uh, into the bowl season, the, the college football playoff and all the kind of fiascos going on along with that. Um, Iowa just found out, uh, well, they weren't going to play Michigan, so they missed that game. Um, but we just found out we're going to go to a bowl game against uh, the Music City Bowl against Missouri. Um, something to look forward to there if we end up playing that. But a lot of games have been canceled already uh, in the bowl slate. And just this morning I heard that um, uh, Barta, Gary Barta said that uh, we're going to be taking a net loss or at least maybe breaking even just going to a bowl game. It seems like a lot of teams are maybe considering whether it's worth it or not or um, you know, what their financial constraints you know, really are. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about that? Actually, in a, in, a, in a normal year, a lot of teams barely break even or take a loss with bowl games. Uh, from just a strict outlay perspective, not counting the exposure and what it does for you know improving your final rankings or recruiting, et cetera. So I don't, I don't think that that is unique. Um, you actually got sent to Nashville. That's one of the few places where you guys could go to a bowl game and I'm, uh, you know, my Detroit Lions just played the Tennessee Titans there, and I think they had fifteen, twenty thousand people were permitted in the stands somewhere around there. Yep. So that's one of the few places where, um, at least a, a small hive of bumblebees could invade uh, if they wanted <laughs> to go there, yeah. and watch. And you know, Missouri doesn't have a lot of fans that would travel to a game like this, even in an average year. Yep. So, I mean, I, you guys could turn that into a de facto. Home game. It could be the only chance you guys didn't get to see the Hawkeyes in person this year because of the Big Ten attendance requirement or, or restrictions, right? So yeah. you got a fortuitous bounce. I was very surprised Northwestern got sent to the Citrus Bowl over Indiana. Yeah, um, you, you and a lot of people. Uh, that that one kind of surprised me, but it's a game Iowa should win. Uh, I've watched Missouri a couple times this year. This was not a great year in the SEC. Uh, the top of the SEC was good. The rest of the league, not as good as it typically is. Yep. And so Missouri with a brand new coach, um, 
no offseason at all, played a freshman quarterback a lot this year on top of a new coach. I mean, they were in the top 25 a couple of weeks ago. I mean, uh, so uh, didn't play well their last game against a not very good Mississippi State team. But again, this is not a great year for the Southeastern Conference. It's a game that Iowa absolutely should win, in my view. And it's one that you could turn into, given basketball, you're not going to have any fans there either this, this season. This could very well be the only chance Iowa fans have to see their team in person until unless who knows what they're going to do with March Madness. If I had to guess, the NCAA cannot do anything to risk missing a second straight tournament. So I'm thinking that's all going to be a bubble too. So you could, if you're an Iowa fan listening to this, um, if you can get to Nashville, this may be the only chance you have to see uh, your black and gold play in a sport you care about because uh, no fans for wrestling either, right? So until next September. Uh, so I, I, if I were Iowa fans, if you can make it happen, and again with the you know people not working and things of that nature, who knows how many that is, but you guys could turn that into a de facto home game if you wanted to. Well, and that's something really that, you know I hadn't uh, thought about in, in that constraint it, that that might be the only game you're going to see for a, a long time, and it might be your opportunity to do it, uh, especially. Uh, I mean, think about it. you had the bowl game against uh, the at the end of last season. Yep, and and now we're talking about a full calendar, almost two full calendar years until you can see Iowa play in a sporting event again that matters to you, you know, that's something to think about because you didn't do it at all in 2020. Well, you got some basketball and wrestling in before we get to March, right? Yep. Uh, so nine months of 2020 and then all the way until next September of 2021, that's, that's a long wait to see your team. I just don't see how the Big Ten, the Power Five conferences – They've been able to weather the storm better than, than most just because they have the money and the, the financial ability to do so. But taking the kind of losses that they've taken, I don't think they can sustain, at least from what I've seen, I don't think they can sustain another year like No, they cannot. They cannot. I mean, Barta talked about this uh, last summer and other schools have done it too, the whole idea of a bridge loan program. But, but, but they cannot. They, 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 they can't afford this. I think people don't understand that these are nonprofits universities are sitting on annuities and things of that nature, but athletic departments often are not, particularly at public universities. They spend pretty much everything they get. Uh, the, the fiscal year before COVID hit, you know, Ohio State, Texas, those are the top two athletic departments in the country. And the fiscal year before COVID hit, Ohio State reported an operational deficit of over a half million dollars. That's, they that's spend everything, just about everything they have come in. That's incredible okay? with the amount of... Because uh, it's kind of hard to claim you're a nonprofit... <laughs> If you're sitting around with profit. millions of dollars in profit, <laughs> yeah. unspent, right? No, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's always a building campaign, sell, you know, raises for assistance, extensions of facilities for Olympic sports, things of that nature. So, yeah, they, they cannot sustain this. And, you know, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. That's what makes, a, you know, the a coaching changes. You've, and, you know, we talked about what would the coaching carousel look like last time you and I chatted. Yep. And you see Auburn's already made a move. South Carolina's already made a move. I think you're watching Tennessee set the stage to make a move. I think that's what the story over the weekend about compliance was concerned about NCAA violations. Dude, when the hell is an SEC school ever concerned about NCAA violations? They're not. Never. So I think that's, hey, can we get out of paying Jeremy Pruitt's buyout? You know, can we just fire him for cause and go hire Hugh Freeze before Auburn does? Um, I think that's what Michigan is wrestling with. That's why we're sitting now uh, a week after signing day. Michigan hasn't played a football game in a month. 
more than a month and no extension for Harbaugh, who's the only coach in the Power Five with no ex- contract beyond next season. And him and the AD met for four hours last Wednesday. That was five days ago. Still no word of an extension. Harbaugh has left town. I think a lot of schools um, are, are trying to figure out, hey, this is a tremendous expenditure. I mean, Auburn had to pay Gus Malzahn $21 million. It's $13 million as the buyout for uh, South Carolina for, for their coach, Will Muschamp. Texas was willing to pay well in, in, in that range to get Urban Meyer, if indeed it meant trading Tom Herman for Urban Meyer. But now you see that they're not willing to pay it for anybody else other than Urban Meyer. So I think a lot of the big names, uh, big name schools right now are wrestling with the reality that A, they cannot afford to make a coaching change right now. But then B, goes to what I told you last time we talked, Joe. They need next year to be balls to the wall to overcome and compensate with this year, this year's losses yep. are. And so there's the, you can't afford it right now, but man, you can't even, you really cannot afford to bomb next year. You can't afford, we didn't have any fans in the stands because we couldn't this year and follow that up with, we don't have any fans in the stands because no one wants to come next year because they're tired and they're sick of losing, right? Yep. So this is what you're seeing a lot of the big programs are wrestling with right now. How important do you think that it was for programs like Iowa um, and some of the other uh, programs in the Big Ten that got to a full slate of games? Barring the the one last game against Michigan, uh, they weren't able to play. We we got pretty much a full year of games um, and then ready for this next bowl game, which I I think was important just from a standpoint that we were visible and we we strengthened ourselves throughout the year. We we had talked at the beginning of the year about the culture and the the kind of uh, composure that they were either going to have or they weren't. Seems like they they went in the right direction even after two losses and kind of secured themselves as as a team that was going to stick together with the coaching staff intact for the most part for the way it is and and moving forward um, it seems like they weathered this storm even going into the bowl game. Well, we're talking about a team that whose win total was what seven and a half in Vegas before the schedule got cut down, but that's what it was going into the off season. Yep, and you're finishing what fifteenth. Uh, in the final college football playoff rankings, not too bad. I mean, I, that's a that's a very good season. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Dan McCartney, former Hawkeye, but when you know him and I were around each other at Iowa State a lot, you know, one of the things he told me, it was such a big deal for Iowa State to get to that first bowl game in 2000, because a lot of fans don't realize that that's an extra spring practice. That you know, one of the things that Dan explained to me is. One of the reasons the same programs go to bowl games over and over and over again is it becomes a perpetuating cycle in that by going to that bowl game, you get extra 15 extra practices like an extra spring practice during the year. You're not really developing your depth or your young guys. You don't have the time to do that. This isn't the 70s and 80s with Hayden Fry when you can put guys in the bubble for nine hours and no one reports on it. Okay, you can't do that anymore. And and so all the development happens in the in the spring. And then if you make a bowl game, that's really the, – the coaches aren't really getting their hands on the depth and the young guys really again until those bowl practices. And that the first week or so of bowl practices are almost a, a, another spring where you're getting those guys – you're getting your hands back on them to develop in a, again before you then go into a full bowl prep the week before the game. Because with the time you have, and now we're in the middle of classes and everything else – and every game, there's so much on the line every week, you're working with the guys you know or are counting on playing in that game on Saturday, right? Yep. And and it just was a huge boost 
to build on for Dan's program at the time at Ames to finally get to that game to start working on next year's players. They because you just can't ever get ahead of the curve. You're always coming, you know, working from behind while these other programs that are already ahead of you are getting all this extra development time every year, yeah. right? Well, I kind of feel a school like Iowa got that benefit this year. And I I will be fascinated to see how that will pay dividends, how it may pay dividends in the offseason. Right now, we're not assured right now that our campuses are going to reopen in our league in January. Okay? Um, we have a new uh, administration coming in the White House, um, and that may change the perspective people have on um, what restrictions we ought to engage in in a lot of places nationwide because of we're also entering into the cold and flu season. And so... How are we navigating that with the with vaccines here? And there's just a lot of moving parts. And in our part of the country, you know, we already saw last earlier this year we were hesitant to play at all, right? Yep. And I could see in our part of the country that, you know, unlike in the SEC where they only missed two games in the whole conference, I could see in our part of the country where maybe some of these universities don't bring the students back after Christmas. Yeah. And and that, and also to salvage the basketball season, just put the basketball players in a de facto uh, uh, bubble on the campus, pretty much by themselves. Make sure we have an NCAA tournament because that's over ninety percent of the NCAA's operating revenue every year. Is that men's tournament not football? It's basketball because they don't control football on the NCAA side. And so, just don't bring the students back. Do distance learning. Let's get through the flu season. Get let the vaccines get distributed, and then we shoot for trying to have some form of a normal academic year. In the in in in, this, in in August, let's say that occurs. What's that do for spring football? Do we have spring practice? We didn't have it last year. Do we have do we have spring practices, or are they or are they like let's not bring anybody else up on campus anymore because of of, of we don't want to risk any more exposures to the basketball season things of that nature. There's just a lot of moving parts. I'm pretty confident you're going to have some form of a normal season in September. Whether how many fans that will be in the stands, that I don't know. But do I think the season will next season will start on time? Yes. Do I think we'll see twelve games again? Yes. Do I think we'll see these draconian COVID testing measures in the Big Ten again? No. Okay. But until we get into that next academic school year, between now and next summer, I think there's a lot of things up in the air. So I think for a school like Iowa to know that every week. They were getting, they were with their players, you know, getting their hands on their players where Wisconsin didn't play for, didn't have three games. Illinois didn't have two games. Michigan didn't have two games, right? Um, Ohio State's had a lot of depth guys that haven't played and been around for a, a three weeks because of well, they had like COVID like issues. 21 players out of the yep. uh, Big Ten Championship yep. game. They had like, what was it, 30 out against Michigan State, I yep. think it was. Uh, so... Having a, a season where you're playing some form of normalcy in a rhythm, and now you get those 15 practices to work on your depth guys, because this is a team that's going to lose some guys for next season. Uh, I, I, if we don't have a normal spring again next year, that could be a tremendous advantage for a team like Iowa. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With the handling that the Big Ten did this year, I mean, it was obviously abysmal. They they pretty much botched everything they could botch. Uh, yeah. the, only, the only decision they, they made right was to start the season, to get it going. The reason they botched everything is because the, the, the rationale for their decisions was bad. Yeah. Well, they didn't listen. Decisions, deci- people are going to make wrong decisions. Yeah. We're not infallible That's as a fine. species. But you got to have good reasons why you're making your decisions. They and didn't have it based on anything. The problem is they made bad decisions every single time. They, the first time around, they they perceived themselves as some kind of... Uh, uh, leadership role. Leadership, uh, 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 the, the pace car of, of college sports, and just assumed that no one would dare defy the granddaddy of all leagues. And the ACC was like, dude, we got Notre Dame playing in our league for three months so we'll see you guys next year we're good we're good we'll figure this covid thing out okay and and we all anybody that thought the sec was not playing football this year hasn't spent three seconds south of ohio all right there there was if dude you want to know how here's how you knew would know if covid was the end of the world or not not serious they're serious and then there's the end of the world when the sec doesn't play football get right with God. It's that, That's a bold judgment. The yep. trumpet is sounded. You're done here, okay? Agreed. Agreed. Short of that, the Southeastern Conference was going to play football. Even if it was the only conference, it was always going to play, all right? It's, it views itself as its own separate league and sport anyway and doesn't care about any of us. So I, that was the first mistake the Big Ten made. It was making decisions out of the basis of a political posture without any real data. That's why they never gave us any real data. They didn't have any. And then they made the decision to return similarly for a political posture. They couldn't take the heat anymore. Their fans were watching the other leagues play and guys aren't dropping dead, okay? And and they're getting heat from Ohio State that's like, hey, we have a national championship team here. Don't you guys need the revenue, okay? And so that's why the league looks bad. I mean, the decision they made this week, I think was right to reduce the timeout. Yeah, for a COVID test, but the timeout that they, but now they're getting criticized by people who thought their rule was bad to start with, and now are criticizing them for changing it. Why? Because it was a dumb rule to start with, but it's obvious now that they're changing it in order to accommodate Ohio State. There's no forward-thinking leadership in this league right now. I don't know if you watched the Big Ten Championship game on Saturday. Yeah, I felt I, like I was watching the MAC Championship. Yeah. You know, they go play at Ford Field, and it's just has all still all the Detroit Lions stuff on the field. That's what it looked like. They couldn't even bring themselves to paint the ends. Zones. Uh, it, it looked be it, it looked really low brow. The the leadership in this league right now has taken. There's a precipitous drop, and then there's just jumping off the top of the Empire State Building, yep. and that's where we went. We went from essentially um, uh, Vito Corleone and uh, and Jim Delaney to Dorfon management. That's what's going on right now. It's a freaking clown show. It's amateur hour. Well. With a lot of the teams, the perception, at least from from my end, was was seeing a lot of these teams who didn't meet the requirements to officially cancel a game. Well, we don't. Yeah, we don't even know. That's well, the thing. No see. league. No. At no point was the league's protocols that we all thought were true draconian. Yes. At no point was a game ever canceled, ever by any of these schools: Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio State. None of them. Yep. None of them canceled the game because they violated the league's protocol. The threshold. Yeah. They all just made the decision not to See, play. Those all should have been, and I say this forfeits. as a Michigan fan, those all should have been forfeits. Absolutely. If you make the decision not to play, that's fine. It's on, it's on you. But that's on you. You made that decision. You lost the game. Well, I, I agree. Well, this thing was incredibly mismanaged the entire time. Well, and that's why when people are upset 
you know, the, the nation is, is looking at Ohio State with, with a CFP, which you had rightly said in, in one of your tweets that it's an invitation. It's not a tournament. It, it's it's an invitation. Yeah. It's an invitation um, by the people who want to see those, you know, with a higher ranking at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. get in. Now, the, the Big Ten Particularly had, if they have certain well, names. Well, yeah. Well, the Big Ten had every incentive, which I think the best Big Ten team did get in. But the perception is they made adjustments, which they had to, to get them in. Are they going to play well? I don't know. They didn't play that great against uh, Northwestern, but I think Northwestern played up. But they they made Ohio State the bad guy, which they don't have to help Ohio State out to do that. Ohio State is, is always the bad guy as far as I'm concerned as, as a Hawkeye. Um, but it was it was wrong to, to put this all on Ohio State, the perception, because they didn't do anything. They wanted to play games. And my, my perception of some of these teams throughout the year that chose not to play is that it was convenient. It was, it was a convenient measure to not play a game, whether it be because you, you thought you were, you know, sick, maybe. Okay, that's what you're saying. But some of the matchups well look were, at the decisions that were, were made. favorable Graham Merch tests positive in Wisconsin decides not to play if he had not tested positive would they have played at the very least do the odds go up yeah. sure yeah. they do okay yeah. let's look at the Ohio State situation they decide to not play Illinois so that they can play the next couple of games for divisional games and take the hit right now yep. they made that strategic decision all right so Michigan we don't really know what went on there um, they're, you know, if you look at the testing numbers that they released that Scott Dockerman over at the, at the athletic compiled, did they, did they those give? clearly don't warrant canceling games. Now right. they also don't include all the contact tracing. Okay. But again, I ask, why did we need all this contact tracing with daily testing? That's now, I'm guessing yeah. Michigan is going to say, well, we sent the kids home for Thanksgiving weekend. And, and so it made the contact tracing harder, uh, whatever. As a Michigan fan, I'd be totally fine with just shutting the season down anyway. I, I was fine with not playing any more games because yeah. they were humiliating us as well, fans. You can at least but be that's the issue. We don't know what any of these schools were motivations were, because motivations were, it seemed as if they were able to, you know, we saw Minnesota play without 30 guys yep. and beat Nebraska. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw Illinois play a couple of weeks uh, without with a third with a fourth string quarterback. All right, so it seemed like Minnesota and Illinois just played when they really couldn't play, yeah. and then played when they probably shouldn't have played, but th- followed the rules. Yep. Kind of seems like Michigan and Ohio State um, and Wisconsin kind of feels like. And if I'm an outsider, I don't know. I, I don't blame anybody for thinking that way because the, it, Michigan also didn't tell you anything. I mean, that's what okay, I had the problem. There was no, with. but. Yeah. but I'm a Michigan fan. They never tell us anything. <laughs> it's not new. I mean, there. It, it's it. I used to call Iowa Fort Kinnick when I was on the radio. I mean, Michigan is is. If Iowa's Fort Kinnick, then I mean, Michigan is uh, is the Iron Curtain. But when you don't tell people things, when you're not transparent, remember we were told that we were going to get all these testing results every week, yep. and it was going to be independently done, and the league was going to monitor that. Nothing that the league said it was going to do, it did. Just. And when the management at the top is bad, then you let then then people know. Hey, uh, then it's, I, I go for my. I'm, I'm gonna go. You're gonna go for yours. Then I'm gonna go for mine. Yep. And I think that's what's got to get corrected in our conference this year. Is if you want to give Kevin Warren a mulligan, it was his first year as a conference commissioner. Un- incredible circumstances for anybody to take over, and you're taking over for a legend. That's fine. But hopefully, they the, over at, in, at the Big Ten offices they learned that. Um, 
you're playing at a, at a higher stakes game now. Yep. You're just, this isn't, you know, you can't make, you cannot make JV freshman level mistakes such as um, it's not safe for, for our league to play while your own son is playing in another league. Okay. Stuff like that just murders you, particularly in the social media era. And so we'll see as we head into the new year, whether this league's learned anything from that or not. Well, it's, it's going to be hard to build that, that trust back with the big 10 and in, in what they presented uh, throughout this year. Um, you know, Indiana, uh, uh, you know, the Indiana coach, um, uh, Tom Allen, Tom Allen. Thank you. He, uh, he got uh, coach of the year. thought that was a fantastic uh, year for him and what they did. Uh, they, it feels like they kind of got snubbed in there. It in does. Their... It, what it feels like is, you know, there's a Big Ten Network had did an outstanding documentary on one of the most controversial moments in Big Ten history, the year I was born, and Michigan or Ohio State were like 1-2 or 2-3 or something in the country, final game of the year, and they played to a tie. And since Ohio State went the year before, it was just expected to the Michigan get to go to the Rose Bowl this time because that's back when you couldn't go two years in a row. Yep. Well, the league actually waived that requirement because Michigan's quarterback broke his collarbone at the end of the game. They were sick of losing Rose Bowls, and this, so they knew Ohio State with their star quarterback and the Heisman, Heisman Trophy winner uh, would would have a much better shot of going out and winning that Rose Bowl, which they did. And so they voted at like 1 a.m. to send Ohio State. And Bo Schembechler found out about it walking into the TV studio to do his coach's show the next morning. It kind of feels like that's what happened to Indiana here. That, that was kind of like, dude, we cannot send Indiana to the Citrus Bowl or to our New Year's Six Bowl carrying our banner with no Michael Penix. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And it, it kind of feels like his injury gave some folks maybe an excuse to get away with giving them the shaft a little bit. Well, and it almost feels... Because <laughs> you don't see Big Ten folks out there... Listen, as, a, as somebody who knows a lot of Iowa State people, including the AD, I'm, a, I'm so excited for them to get their first ever New Year's Six Bowl, okay? Yep. But do you get the sense the Big Ten offices are really all that upset that Iowa State got picked for that Fiesta Bowl over Indiana? No. You don't really see like a media... You, you didn't you have, see much lobbying yeah, for that. Do you have a platform at the Big Ten where they could like lobby for their interest and sh- and, and oh, back yeah, that, up their that teams? Network, that oh, network. Yeah, network. Yeah, oh, yeah, That's the whole network. Right, yeah. The whole network. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really see them marshalling the forces to defend Indiana's honor here. Do you? No. I kind of wonder if, dude, without Michael Penix, man, let's not send them there. I, I kind of wonder if that's what happened. Well, because they didn't even get the Citrus Bowl. They, they're going to send Northwestern, who, by the way, as we speak, is hemorrhaging transfers. Like every couple hours, I got yep. a kid in the transfer portal. And this is not a program with a lot of depth, by the way. So you got to kind of wonder, we're seeing this a couple days after all the Pat Fitzgerald being wooed by yep. the NFL reports. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, they just lost their AD, Jim Phillips, who the Big Ten almost hired as their commissioner and should, should have. have. Okay, He's going to be the commissioner of the ACC now. So if there was ever a time to make a run at Pat Fitzgerald, if this is probably the time with his AD moving on. They were had a very close-knit relationship. But you got to wonder, when you've seen all those Northwestern players going to the transfer portal, do they know something that you and I don't know? Sounds Cause like that Because that's not a program where it's like, well, I haven't played until my senior year, so I'm out of here. No. They're, they're developing guys for three, four, five years all of the time. He's, and he's tight-knit with his players. Yeah. And so when you see the amount of guys that have entered the transfer portal there, I, I kind of wonder if maybe those players might know something that we don't know yet, but we'll see. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, real quick, going back to the Indiana thing, it almost feels a little bit like the Big Ten 
<laughs> wanted to punish Indiana for not taking the opportunity to play Ohio State again. I, that, I have no nothing. It's just something that it feels like it. They, it's hard to know all these questions because I don't. Who, does anybody blame Indiana for wanting to play their their biggest rivalry game if they can do that? Well, yeah, absolutely. They don't want to play Ohio State again. Why would you want to play Ohio State? Why would you want to help them get into? This is this is also yeah. where the problem is the leadership void. When Jim Delaney was in charge, you did not like all of his decisions, but you knew why he was going to make the decision he did. What was going to make us the most amount of money? Mm-hmm. And that was the decision that Jim Delaney made every single time. You may not have liked his decisions, and I didn't agree with all of them, but you understood what his motivations were. And We don't really understand the people that are running the show right now in the Big Ten, we, from the presidents to Kevin Warren. We have no freaking clue well, Jim what's Delaney driving their decisions. You know, Jim right Delaney now. didn't waver. I mean, that, that's a guy who pretty much, whether he was wrong, which he could be he didn't sometimes. Have to. He had all. He was all powerful. He put it down. Yeah. He could, but he had earned that. He yeah. had earned that. Right now, you're dealing with a rookie AD and university presidents, and it, it's a mess right now in our conference. With um, looking at like contracts and whatnot for for coaches, and especially this kind of volatile year, I I was thinking about Kirk Ferentz's contract. Um, now he, he goes out till 2025. But the last time that they revisited it and looked at it was 2016. So we're coming up on 2021. And I was thinking, well, maybe they'll start looking at that again for an extension. But that's probably not going to be something that's talked about. Um, Where do you think, given his demeanor and how he's kind of responded this year, it kind of felt like the old ball coach who finally came out and just spoke his mind, which he's always been pretty reserved and and pretty – Closed-lipped. It's just the kind of way that Kirk is. He's very old school. He's not going to give you a whole lot. He feels like a, a Bill Belichick kind of responses. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit snarky this year. He had he had some personality. It seemed like he has been here. He has done this. He 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 let it out a little bit more against uh, you know PJ Fleck uh, against um, Frost from from Nebraska. It was a different feel for Kirk Ferentz this year. I don't know if you saw that. It, it felt like it, and I enjoyed it. I, I really did. I I. I, I have noticed it, and I I think it's the right reaction to what transpired. You know, when you and I talked at the beginning of the year, or right before it started, one of the things we discussed was, well, now he's gonna, we're going to get new Coke Kirk, right? He's going to, you know, everybody tweets whatever they want, says whatever they want. He's your buddy now. And just wondered, and that style of coaching can work. It's not like there's there's a defined style, players, coach, or disciplinarian that works. Mm-hmm. Being good at your job, regardless of which of those styles you are comfortable with and works for you, that's what works, being good. Your style of coaching isn't what wins. You being a good coach wins, despite the style, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you can you can have trust the process, Nick Saban, or you know you can have the, a coach or, or Bill Belichick, who his players would never like think of Dare inviting question. him to their <laughs> yeah. wedding, yeah. you know, or um, a, a kid's birthday party, or you can be the guy that makes the life choices, the life lessons, um, and that's more of an Urban Meyer style of coach. Okay, so it just depends on on what who you are. Okay, and I was concerned that we were going to see Kirk go from a guy that had his own kind of trust the process to let me try to be Pentecostal youth minister now. And hey, dude, show me your what's your have have you guys heard this new hip hop album and you pronounce the rapper's name wrong? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, I was a little concerned we were going to see that. And and I think. Instead, what we saw was Kirk was like, well, screw it, man, if I'm going to let these young people have a little bit more freedom to express what they think. I'm going to give myself 
that exact same freedom too. I loved it. And I thought it worked well. And it, But now it's one of those things, if you're winning, it works well. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, people are like, see, you lost, you, 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 lost, you, 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 you have a new identity. You, you, you should, stuck, should have stuck to what worked for you. But um, I think that um, you didn't see a difference in, in discipline on the field for the Iowa program. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to show that they, and we don't know what goes on there behind the scenes. We can only know why, go by what we, the end result that we see play out on Saturdays. Yep. And what we saw play out on Saturdays this year is a team that had every incentive to lay it down. What other programs around the country did, never did, uh, given the offseason it had and then the 0-2 start. You saw a team get better as the season went on. Uh, I think most Iowa fans, even before the race scandal, would have been like, no way we're finishing number 15 in the college football playoff no, rankings. No, I, I didn't then you think throw that, that yeah. in, and then you throw an 0 2 and start in, right? I mean, what kind of odds would you have gotten at the William Hill Sportsbook here in Iowa <laughs> that we'll finish top 15 in the college football playoff rankings in the middle, in, in, in the second or third week of the season? 500 to 1, 600 to 1, 700 to 1, that would have been a pretty good bet. Well, here you are. And so I, what we can say now is that they found a way to maintain the part of their identity that has made them successful uh, as a program while modernizing some of the style by which they present themselves at the exact same time. Yeah. And, and the players and all seem give them to credit for that. Yeah. They, they it's not to easy to reinvent yourself. No. Not easy to do. And th this team was able to stick it out and, and get it done. Love that. Uh, going to be going to the Music City Bowl. Um, I was initially kind of underwhelmed just because I've heard of the Music City Bowl before, but you, you brought up some good points. I mean, the, the location and the ability to have fans there. At the beginning of the season, we were just happy to play games. Now we're getting a bowl game, which is fantastic for the players being able to have their senior year. A lot of these guys have the opportunity to come back, but most of them probably won't uh, utilize the uh, the extra year given to them. Some have NFL aspirations, and some just want to get on with uh, with their lives and, and, and start uh, their new chapter. But um, definitely happy that we got a bowl game. Looking at the Iowa basketball game uh, real quick, um, I think these guys are every bit legit as, as they were hyped up to be. I think that they had a bad game against uh, Gonzaga. I think they had a terrific game against North Carolina, um, at least towards the end. Um, they got some things to work on, but I'm not, you know, uh, running for the hills thinking that, oh, no, we're not really where we should be. I think we're exactly where we should be. And like you've always said, at least I, I from what I can uh, recall, there's no, no such thing as a good loss. So I'm not going to say it was a good no, loss. There's, there's good losses. There's no such thing as moral victories. Moral victories. That's there are okay. losses where you can learn things that are good. I yeah. think they, they, yeah. they did learn a lot of things. Um, one is you got to be able to make that three ball. They're a team that lives and dies by it, and... It wasn't falling. They they weren't able to convert that. One of the biggest frustrating things that I've been saying all year is they just haven't been getting rebounds. Their offensive rebounds aren't there. I mean, they got out rebound out rebounded by Gonzaga like crazy that game. And to be able to have the ability to put up second point plays, Nunji is is getting better. Um, he didn't have a great start to the Gonzaga game, but I think he finished strong. Uh, had, had quite a few points, but Joe Toussaint. I think has really given, uh, and you had mentioned this too in some of your tweets, it, it really given a lot of life in certain parts of the game when he's been introduced. I would like to see him start. Now, I don't know whether you take Jordan Bohannon out. Um, that's been the person who has been suggesting the most, and he's been getting a lot of flack, and I'm not here to add on to that. He's a great, great basketball player. He is. 
he had a bad night. That happens too. But he doesn't give you what Joe Toussaint can give you at the start of a game. But maybe, you know, Joe, but, uh, Jordan Bohannon coming off the bench could add to that firepower after getting it started. I don't like so, starting behind. You're not 76 Indiana, John Wooden UCLA, 2015 Kentucky, 1990 UNLV, right? This isn't a historically great team, okay? It's a very good team, though, and it's one of the best teams. I And I've watched a lot of college basketball already this year, and it's one of the best teams in the country this year. But you're not historically great, so you have a weakness. Everybody, and, and so does everybody have a weakness. For Iowa, the weakness on the team, and you, you, um, you saw Jimmy Dykes, who's coached both men's and women's college basketball, you saw him make this point in the in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Who you got? You have to force Iowa to get its offense off the dribble, off the bounce. Yep. Okay, you, if if you let them work four out, one in with their ball movement, and you let the ball go not just horizontally but then vertical out and in. There's a lot of teams that are great moving, getting a good shot, moving the ball horizontally or vertically. Iowa can get a great shot doing it both ways because of the amount of firepower that they can put on the floor. So what you need to be able to do is how can we force them to get their offense off of the bounce? You don't really have a, a slashing score on this team. Now, about early in the second half, North Carolina adjusted its defense and finally figured that out. And at one point, they even took, I think, a one-point lead in that game, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. If you go back and watch that game again, when Joe Toussaint was brought into that game, that kind of quelled North Carolina's run because he is the one player right now able and capable of playing major minutes for Iowa that can cause and wreak havoc off the bounce. He's still not a great finisher off the bounce, but he can get there. Um, and, 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 and you have to respect the fact that he can get to the rim against you, and so he can break a defense down. That's the one guy on Iowa's team that can do that. And I think what you saw against Gonzaga is at first Iowa just ran into a buzzsaw. Iowa's not a great defensive team. Gonzaga got any three-point look that they wanted and were just making an obscene amount. They made, yep. what, like 11 in the first half or something. I mean, that's a hell of a game, let alone in one Most half. Most of my Suggs. Okay, yeah, it's by Jalen Suggs. I mean, he could be a Wooden Award winner when it's all said and done. In the second half, Iowa's effort on the defensive end improved enough that it became enough of a game. And then if I'm an Iowa fan, they made the game close enough that that is now when I just look at the fact we were barely 50% from the free throw line and we were terrible from the three-point line. Yeah. We're, not beating any, we're not beating almost any top 30 team in the country on a neutral court shooting like this, let alone right now the number one Ken Palm team in the country. So on that one, I agree with you. I, I do think there's a fundamental issue for your team. That particularly when you go to the second run of games in the Big Ten, when you play teams for a second time, mm -hmm. and they've 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 already got now Feel some experience of yep. how you reacted to when they did this. That if if I'm if I'm coaching against Iowa, I it's it's what Jimmy Dyke said. Show me that you can get offense off the bounce. Show me you can do that. And I, I don't know, I don't know as much basketball as Fran McCaffrey does. So maybe I'm missing something. I'm not at practice, things of that nature. But from my untrained eye, it just seems pretty obvious to me that unless there's a conditioning issue or something we don't know about, and I don't know how, I don't know who you adjust in your rotation. I don't know if it's, um, 
the the other McCaffrey, if, if one of the if it's the other if it's the it's Connor McCaffrey if he's it's that which one is the one that plays and which one is the one that was Connor Connor starts okay uh, Connor's, Pat is on the all right on the so bench, maybe yeah. it's Connor that has to sit or maybe it, it might even actually be Bohannon because he right now only does really one thing he doesn't distribute the ball very well from what I can see he was careless with it against North Carolina he was careless with it against Gonzaga the teams you're going to play the rest of the way did you guys watch did anybody watch Northwestern freaking name the score against Michigan State they're supposed to be team 13 in our league guys yep. and they named the score against against what has been the best program in our conference for the last 20 years so if that's team 13 you're not getting any nights off all right, yep. except maybe when you're playing Nebraska, maybe. <laughs> so the teams you're playing for the rest of the year are going to look a lot more like North Carolina and Gonzaga than all the other games Iowa has played. And and so what what we've seen against North Carolina and Gonzaga is Jordan Jordan Bohannon doesn't offer enough quickness unless unless he's making forty plus percent from three. He is a and he's a great kid and oh, a yeah. great story. He, so it's not personal. No. But but against that caliber of competition, if he is not hitting forty percent or higher from three, everything else on the court that he brings is 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 a loss leader at that point. Yep. That he needs to be that level of a threat to extend a defense to justify the other issues that he has. And so I know the easy thing is to say throw McCaffrey because it's the coach's kid and maybe he's getting favorable treatment. I'm guessing that's probably the message board well, chatter. But yeah. I might actually think maybe the McCaffrey kid brings you a little bit of grit that you kind of don't have. And maybe it's Jordan Bohannon that should sit. And he is like your designated zone buster. He is yeah. your, hey, you guys want to go zone? You don't want to have to man up on Luca Garza? Okay, Boom. cool. Then we bring this guy off the bench. He buries you the four or five quick threes, and that's, and and you'll rethink that strategy real quick. Like, well, that's what we were thinking right? at the beginning and of the year. Because huh. Joe Toussaint to me has to play thirty minutes a game if I was going to win a Big Ten championship. This is not a typical year of defense in the conference. I mean, dude, Rutgers. I I, I do handicapping in college basketball. Big Ten games are killing me right now, because they're all over the total. Every freaking high game scoring. is Crazy. high. Dude, Rutgers is scoring into the eighties now. I mean, last Rutgers and Ohio State are scoring in the '80s. Two last year, those teams want first one is 60 wins every game they played. They wanted to beat the hell out of you. So this is a year where you don't have to be a great defensive team to win our league. You're not going to face intimidating road environments where the where the refs give every call and you get every charge goes against you because the fans are yelling. This is the, if there was every year to try to outscore everybody to win a Big Ten championship, given the overall skill level in our conference and the lack of home court advantage, this is the year to try it. The, well, it, it all right? we, we have the ability but, to do that. But to me, though, you're going to get limited if you do not, if Joe Toussaint's got to play 30 minutes a game because he's the only guy ready to be a major rotation contributor that can, can, can disrupt the opposition off the bounce. Well, and I think you're this right. This league that, is too good to just sit there and say, our game plan is you get to use 16 fouls on Luca Garza. Every big man in your program just come in and hack a Luca. Yeah. And then hopefully we hit 40% from three. Listen, there's a lot of firepower on this team, and most nights you're going to do that. Yeah. But if you want to win the Big Ten championship, I don't think you, you've got to have a third gear there. And I think that's where you need Joe cool. Toussaint. And I think that's why... A lot of people have been, you know, not just because he had one bad game, but because he doesn't bring Jordan Bohannon. That is, doesn't bring that kind of that kind of energy to it. Now he's a clutch player. He can make those shots. He's shown it time and time again. No doubt. And it would be great to see yeah. him off the bench, yeah. being that sniper who comes in and they know exactly what he's going to be doing, and there's nothing they can do about it. We have the firepower, and and I think that's 
what some people are missing. It's not to punish Jordan Bohannon. It's it's to give him a better opportunity because this team needs the the slasher esque that that Joe Toussaint can just bring. Connor Connor McCaffrey, whether he's the Suns coach or not, that that kid brings so much to to this Iowa team. It, it, it's incredible. His 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 vision, his passing, his uh, assist is just. They're incredible. He he is he is a glue. I agree, he, he, but it's it's hard to win a conference championship in a league this good when neither one of your guards can attack the defense. It's true. He's not, he does not attack it. He does not attack it. Neither but, one of them can do no, that. The only, and so to me, it seems again, Van McCaffrey's forgotten more basketball yeah. than I'll remember. But one of the key things that you need of a guard is the ability to break a team down off the dribble. There's one guy in my program that can do that. I would play that guy a lot more. We weren't able to get them in foul trouble either, which was weird for being not. Why would they get in foul trouble? Well, well, they're they're one of the few leagues. They're one of the few leagues that is a Luca Garza like big man. They do okay, but the other thing too was all you're going to do is just shoot jump shots. Yeah. Why would they foul you a lot? There's no point to that, right? I will say this though. Suggs was great. He was he was lights out. But looking at the stats, I mean, I came back. I mean, Luca Garza still outscored him. Still outscored Suggs, and that was impressive to me. If you, if you took those two players, he neutralized some of the ability. Now, the, the momentum that Suggs brought uh, was incredible, and I think that's what really shut uh, this Iowa team down. But um, I was okay with, with the loss at, at the end of the game, um, not from a standpoint that I was okay with losing, but that we didn't lose that, that poorly. We, we showed some, some positivity coming you know, towards the, the latter half of the second half to get it close and that we had some things to work on getting into the Big Ten. Well, let's get to wrap it up for Steve and I. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, be sure to check out HawkeyeNation.com. They're going to have all your football, basketball, and other sports uh, information right there. A lot of great stuff on the upcoming bowl against uh, the Mizzou Tigers in the Music City down there in Nashville. Hope to see a lot of Hawkeyes there. They are uh, going to be allowing, uh, what, 14,000, 15,000 uh, people into the stadium um, might be your only opportunity to to get in there and enjoy it, like Steve said. So hopefully to see a lot of uh, black and gold for that game. Uh, kind of a common color with uh, the Mizzou Tigers, but we know who we are. So uh, Big Ten play starts for basketball uh, on Tuesday against Purdue. You won't want to miss that. Uh, your Hawks are, are still uh, red hot uh, as far as I'm concerned. A uh, little bit of setback against Gonzaga, but that can be fixed with a great Big Ten season, which I fully expect to have. So you won't want to miss any of that. Um, have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, enjoy each other. Um, it's, it's been a, a tough year, but, uh, the new year is coming. Hopefully with that new year, uh, will be much better, uh, times ahead and much better, uh, football and basketball and all Hawkeye sports, uh, to, to watch in person and to enjoy. Um, want to thank Steve for, for joining us again. Always, uh, enjoy the, uh, the insight that he brings, um, and uh, Steve actually uh, just finished his second book of the Nefarious uh, kind of series that he's, he's done so far. Um, Nefarious Carol is on shelves everywhere books are sold. Uh, also, check uh, uh, out Amazon. Uh, leave a good review there. Check out the book. Get it for yourself for Christmas. Get it for uh, a friend or a loved one. Uh, it makes for a, a great read. Uh, it's also on Audible, so that's a, that's a fun way to do it as well if you're in the car and, and traveling this Christmas or holiday season. Uh, it's, it's a fun little tale that, uh, that only Steve could tell. So uh, Merry Christmas to you guys, and uh, Merry Christmas, Steve, and thanks for coming on. You bet. Tons of fun, man. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you.